Good morning, Twitter. Today we have a great show for you because Gugu Mbatha-Ra is here to talk about motherless Brooklyn. So you stick right there and we will see you on the timeline while she drinks her tea. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. She's Stephanie McNeil, and you are watching AM to DM. Welcome back. I know. I'm so excited <laughs> to be back. I feel like I haven't hosted in a long time, and I haven't hosted with you. I know. So I'm so excited to see you it's and great be here. Because it's I feel great. like I just get to catch up on all of the work that you've been up to. Yeah. And speaking of, you've been putting together a, an influencer newsletter, right? Yeah. So me and my reporter, Tanya Chen, have been putting together this influencer newsletter. And if you're interested in it, you can sign up. There is a link in my Twitter bio. It's really fun. We've been having a lot of fun with it. So that's my plug for the day if you guys are interested <laughs> in influencer gossip. Love it. <laughs> and obviously, it is really good that I'm back because I have breaking news for you, Alex. Do tell. Gen Z has completely murdered all of the boomers. Here's a tweet from NBC News' Callan Rosenblatt. Last week at Internet Explorers, I shared how teens are lobbing OK Boomer and condescending adults on TikTok. How did I do with that? That was pretty good. I mean, you definitely got to like the pettiness at the heart of this. And the thing that I enjoy about this is that the thing that millennials haven't really mastered is I feel like we still gave boomers too much credence. But I love that this is just so dismissive. Boomer humor is really having a moment. I don't know. I follow this like boomer humor subreddit where people just post memes about like how much boomers suck. But it's kind of this general sentiment, I think among younger millennials, but especially among Gen Z, that boomers are kind of to blame for a lot of the issues they see in the world right now, uh, climate change, and just having this general intolerance. You know, the younger generations tend to be a lot more tolerant and a lot more open. And they kind of are just destroying boomers with this like really quippy phrase, and I kind of love it. I, I kind of love it too. I'm definitely here for it. But unfortunately, Alex, this might be the latest thing that millennials have killed, you know, that were infamous for doing that. And I have breaking news for you as well. Millennials are no longer cool. We're old. Matt Zeitlin tweeted, LMAO, okay, boomer is already dead. I've only seen 35-year-olds using it because they read about it in the Times. You know, I feel like Yikes. the fact that this ended up in the New York Times, it just means it's like, it's done, right? Yeah. Like, it, like now, we're all, us who are over 30 are going to start using this and that's it. It no longer belongs to Gen Z. Yeah, I mean, millennials aren't cool either. <laughs> so, I mean, we're not as bad as boomers, but we're certainly not the cool kids on the block anymore. I'll, you know, I'll give it to the young millennials, but I'll say me over 30. Like, my time has come and gone. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I accept it. I accept it. Well, here's a distraction from America's political drama. More Brexit drama from across the pond. CNN tweeted, Britain will head to the polls amid the country's worst political crisis for generations after lawmakers finally agreed to hold a landmark general election on December 12th. This will be the third time since 2015 that British citizens will head to the polls to choose a new government. And the country is still at an impasse over Brexit all these years later. Here to break this down for us is BuzzFeed News UK political correspondent Hannah Al Othman. Hannah, thank you as always for coming on and explaining the UK drama to us clueless Americans. No worries, happy to. So what is each side hoping to get out of this December election? 
So um, at the minute, we basically have um, a hung parliament. No, no party has got a majority. Um, so both sides are hoping to get a majority. At the minute, uh, the current prime minister, Boris Johnson, is ahead in the polls. So he was really pushing for this election because he thinks this will get him the majority of MPs that he needs um, members of parliament that he needs to get his um, Brexit deal through. Whereas the opposition, um, I think the Conservatives have been in government for nine years now. Um, and they're hoping that um, they can, uh, basically, they, they had a bit of a, they didn't win last time, but they came from behind to gain 30 seats. Um, and they're hoping for another sort of upset um, and that they will do uh, something similar. And if, if they do that again, uh, they would pull ahead. So, yeah, even though they're behind, they're hoping that there might be a shock and they might win. Now, if I recall correctly, tomorrow was supposed to be a big deadline for Brexit. So what's going on now? Yeah, so basically... Um, this was, I think, the third extension from the European Union, and they'd agreed that Britain could leave on the 31st of October, Halloween. Um, and basically, Parliament didn't want that to happen unless Britain had a deal with the EU, um, and they put legislation in place to stop um, the government being able to leave without uh, a deal. And so Boris Johnson was, he'd kept saying, we're going to leave on the 31st, we're going to leave um, on Halloween. And he um, he didn't get his deal through Parliament in time. So he was forced to ask the European Union for an extension, which they have granted until the 31st of January or sooner if he gets a deal through before then. I'm curious about what the polls are telling us about what the average EU citizen is feeling right now in terms of what party is projected to maybe have an advantage in this election? And is the, U e or the UK populace in general, are they still for Brexit or is the tide turning? So we're more split than ever in this country, I think. Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> People have become very entrenched in their views. There might be some that have changed their minds, but um, you know, there's still a lot of people that feel very passionately that they want to leave the EU, and there's still a lot of people that feel um, very passionately that they want to remain. Uh, EU citizens don't get a vote in this election. It's uh, British and I think Irish citizens only. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, uh, among British citizens as well, you know, there's a lot of um, very, very strong pro-EU and very strong anti-EU feeling. And I think we'll see that reflected in the campaigning and in the polls. Hmm, well, we will uh, keep on watching. Hannah, thank you so much for breaking this down for us. No worries. Thank you. Here's a tweet from the Associated Press. NCAA will permit athletes to be compensated for their names, images and likenesses, Board of Governors says. But there is a lot of unpacking to do about what this actually means. Here's a tweet from Patrick Ruby. The NCAA has begun the process of figuring out just how much it can restrict college athletes' ability to profit from their names, images, and likenesses without upsetting lawmakers. Here's a tweet from For the Win. The NCAA isn't allowing athletes to get paid. The NCAA is buying time. Joining us now to discuss is the editor of For the Win, Nate Scott. Good morning. Morning, guys. How are you? We are good. Uh, glad to have you here to help us explain this story because it seemed to go from enthusiasm to dismay pretty quickly. Um, so what did the NCAA Board of Governors decide? The NCAA Board of Discoverers basically decided to 
consider things more. Um, I think yesterday's statement, while it did have that big headline that a lot of newsmakers seized on, this idea that they had voted unanimously to permit uh, students participating in athletics to the opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, what they really did was we are recommending that and now we're going to send that to Division One, Division Two, and Division Three to consider it. Um, it, it's kind of a stalling tactic. I do think it, it is important in that they are kind of opening the door to possibly college athletes getting paid for, for their likeness, but uh, this is not happening anytime soon. Is this something that you feel like student athletes really want? I mean, there are so many different athletes in this country who I'm sure have varying opinions. Is the overwhelming sentiment that they deserve to be profiting up off of their likeness or is it kind of split? Um, I think it depends on the sport, of course. You know, if someone is a uh, backup tennis player for a smaller school, they might not. This might not affect them that much. But I mean, if you look at the money that these D one programs are bringing in, we're not talking about you know millions. We're talking about hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in revenue. Uh, and you know, the the workers, the athletes, or the ones who are entertaining and putting on the work, they're getting uh, scholarships. Um, that that. The, the money is just too disparate right now. And I think athletes, you know, many athletes view likeness as a way to possibly close that gap. Mm, uh, Stephanie, you referenced the uh, vast amount of athletes. I think that uh, the NCAA includes something like 450,000 athletes. Can you kind of give us a sense of the lay of the land here? Um, you mentioned that the scholarship money, uh, you know, can be a little bit disparate for people. Um, where do these athletes fall in terms of, um, you know, how they might actually profit from their likeness? I imagine that, there are a few um, really well-known athletes for whom this is a, a bigger deal than some other ones. Of course, and that's how capitalism works. <laughs> you know, it, 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 that's sort of how we have to decide if we want the NCAA to kind of exist inside or outside of the way that, you know, kind of America works. I, I will say that uh, a lot of athletes point to the Olympic model, which is basically, hey, you know, if you're Michael Phelps, um, Team USA isn't going to pay you all that much, but uh, if Rolex wants to give you a bunch of money to endorse their products, good for Michael Phelps. Someone else might get a, you know, a billboard at their local Volkswagen dealership. It's it's all money. It's all better for a lot of these athletes who you know get room and board, but are basically working a full time job on top of being student athletes. You know, on top of being athletes for their school. Um, and, and in that regard, you know, they they can't really work. They can't bring in any extra money. They sort of have to devote themselves to this to the school and whatever revenue that uh, likeness rights might get you would be better for them, I think. So you mentioned that the decision yesterday is kind of a stalling tactic. So what should we look out for in the next steps that the NCAA might take? So the big thing is that the, the state of California passed a law that, that says in 2023, California athletes can start to earn money off their likeness. Uh, the NCAA called it constitutional but a lot of other states then jumped on the on the bandwagon and basically said, we're going to do the same thing. Florida is actually considering a law that might go into effect next year. Um, so I think the NCAA statement yesterday was a lot about sending a message to state lawmakers saying, we hear you. We are taking the steps needed. You have to give us time. We're a massive organization. There's, a ton, there's tons of teams. There's tons of ways to figure this out. There's the recruiting element. Uh, this is complicated. Um, but then again, if, if a state like Florida goes and passes the law and says it's going into effect in 2020, then things get really hairy really quickly. Well, it's certainly a fascinating debate, and we are going to stay on top of this news, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us and breaking this down. Thanks, y'all.
Okay, let's take it to the timeline. How should student athletes be compensated? I'm really curious what everyone has to think. I feel like we all have really, I feel like we get in debate about it right now. So <laughs> let us know using the hashtag AMCDM. Now, before we go, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of the actor and comedian John Witherspoon. Here's a tweet from Witherspoon's son, JD. So my dad died today, and honestly, I'm not sure how to feel. I'm sad, but I'm also happy for all the great times we had together. We'd roast each other like homies more than father and son, and I really liked that. He was my best friend and my idol. Love you, Dad. I'll miss you. And here is a tweet from Kid Fury. I'm crying over John Witherspoon like he was really my pops. I'm crushed. Witherspoon, of course, was beloved for playing pops in the Friday movies and Granddad in the Boondocks, among many other shows. Well, let's take it to the timeline. What was your favorite John Witherspoon role? Tweet us using the hashtag AMTDM. Coming up on the show, Sylvia is talking to singer Luke James, but up next, Alex is reading fire tweets with Joel Kim Booster. Welcome back. I'm joined by comedian, writer, and actor Joel Kim Booster, who stars in NBC's Sunnyside. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I love that greeting. Yes, I'm yes. there. Well, I told you before, I'm yes. running on cold brew and cold medicine right now, so I'm feeling very fired up. These <laughs> well, good. So uh, you're just going to kind of follow after me. So Great. I'll go first, and then you just hit the button and read the tweet. Let's okay. do it. Mike, you tweet it. If I respond, hell yeah, or ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha to an Instagram story of yours once every three months, and that's our only communication. Congratulations. You're one of my best friends now. I feel this very hard. You do? Because, well, the all caps, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, <laughs> that is a real commitment to the joke that I'm responding to. If I do a lowercase lol, that means nothing. Oh, so that, that, means that is like, we're not nothing. really, we're just yeah. an acquaintance here. That means okay. I'm trying to give you something, I feel obligated to respond, but at the end of the day, I do not care about you at all. <laughs> um, and then like a smaller case, ha-ha, that's like a real thing too. Oh, it is? Too. Yeah, okay, yeah. so either the the all uppercase hahas yeah. or the noted noted. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a very difficult system to to figure out, but once we get there, you know, <laughs> makes Got sense. It. All right, so you're gonna hit the button and then read the tweet. David, you tweeted, I find it unfair that people who come out in adulthood immediately become a hundred times hotter, whereas I, who came out at 14, had to go through a necktie and t-shirt phase. Woof. Woof. The necktie and t-shirt phase is so real to me. I mean, I wanted to be Avril Lavigne for <laughs> at least a stretch of eighth grade, I think. That feels so incredibly real. I mean, not to brag, but um, I came out in my early 20s, so I feel like I had a, a different... Uh, Pick of fashions. Yeah, you so know? you were so, well, you were yes. sort of fully formed at I, that I was point. Fully you formed, weren't yes. in the soup of adolescence, exactly. trying to yes. like figure it out from there. Yeah, I was doing a lot of like studded bracelets, um, a lot of like <laughs> hot topic meets like uh, thrift store clothes, uh, jeans that you could fit an entire body into one. Leg. I am living for this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Bring, bring it back. Please. Honestly, okay. I think I looked pretty good. Okay. I think I looked pretty good. So all right, all right. Next tweet. No, totally, you tweeted. I don't want a dating app. I just want a billboard that says, I love my cat. I throw down for oppressed folks. If you think I'm cute, let's get coffee. I would love that person. Do, is there a picture? 
on well, the also, billboard. That's important. <laughs> that is key. Because here's the thing: we all love to say that, like, it's all about personality. It's all about like the interests. But here's the thing: I need the body. I need to see. <laughs> I need to see the body. And I and I don't care if that makes me shallow. I need to see just a peak. You know, just a, a peak. little bit. I like that you're being honest. Actually, yeah. like I think that that that's admirable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put a butt up on a billboard. That's all I really need. That's all it takes. You don't even care about the. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not even the face. Just the butt. And then we'll go and get some coffee, and we'll see from there. All right, perfect. Okay, so this is tweet of the day. So we're both gonna hit the button at the same time, okay, but well. you're gonna read the tweet. Okay. Okay. So go. Oh, it comes from me. Yes. When a friend accidentally sends you a text about you to you, they've handed you a gift—a special kind of resentment that will spill little by little into everyday interactions until you end up ruining one of their game nights years later. This, unfortunately, is a true story of something that did happen to me. A friend sent shit talked me. Oh no! To me via text, and um, instead of confronting him about it. I did send that tweet. That is. You sent the tweet, but did you? You didn't ruin the game night, actually. Uh, I, not yet. You have that up like your sleeve. Like I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. It's years and years and years later. I will uh, enact my revenge then. Like, but that's just how I roll, you know. Like, that's fair. I could talk to him about it like an adult. Yeah. Or I could let it fester inside of me for years and years, and then let it come out when he least expects it. Did he see the tweet? He did absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah, did yeah. he? Did he acknowledge that he? Then that is when I got my apology, and that is why this is wow. why I'm a terrible person. Is because I could have just confronted him immediately and been like, "Can we talk about this as good friends?" But no, I sent a tweet that I knew he'd see, so that he knew I knew that I, you know, it's it's a game. It's a psycho game that I play <laughs> with all of my friends. Does anybody want to be my friend anymore? Well, <laughs> like, now that we know you have your Instagram lingo yeah, down, exactly. like it's, everything is what I'm getting it's is coded. everything. everything it's all planned coded. out and specific. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I really want to ask you about all of the things that you're up to. Um, starting with this tweet from Misa, who says, "If you're not watching Sunnyside, you are making a mistake." So tell folks about the show if Thank they haven't you, seen Misa. it. Um, Sunnyside is a hangout comedy, basically, and the, and the structure is it's about Cal Penn as a disgraced former city council member uh, in New York City who uh, sort of gets roped into helping a group of kooky immigrants as they go on their Journey to become citizens, um, and um, that's like the the premise of the show. But as the show goes on, it just sort of becomes about these relationships uh, between these characters and these. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot in common, but they're thrown mm. together by this sort of insane process to become a citizen in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, jokes ensue. You know. Well, people seem to be particularly compelled um, by your character and uh, his relationship with your co-star Poppy. Um, Joe Ralph tweeted. I mean, seriously, how funny are Jun Ho and Mei Lin on Sunnyside? Easily the best thing duo on the networks this fall. Clearly, your chemistry goes spills off camera as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. They didn't uh, audition us together at all, oh. and we share every scene, and, and we we barely even get single shots. Like we're usually like <laughs> in the same camera angle together, and uh, they really looked out because like both of us are like lived in Brooklyn, queer, yeah. uh, like very. It's she's always going to witch circles. I'm going to warehouse parties. As one does it's when like, yeah. you are queer and living in Brooklyn. It, it, Listen, it, I know. Okay, it yeah. works out perfectly. And it's great because we really like I, we love each other a lot. We got matching tattoos recently, um, so we need to get picked up for a second season. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, we balance each other out a lot. She's very like 
sweet and mm. uh, and balanced and kind to everybody and knows everybody's names and I'm a little demon um, and so that sort of uh, makes us uh, a good pair I think well you are a, a little demon who resonates with a lot of people because <laughs> you, last year you had a comedy special um, model minority and in the special you talked about um, racism in the gay community you also talked about uh, growing up Asian in a white community um, how have those experiences informed your comedy yeah I mean the thing is is that like most comedians uh, of my generation, like I'm just talking about my life, you know, like I'm pulling from the experiences of of moving through the world and 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 writing bits around that. And I was told a lot, like especially at the beginning of my career, like you have to be relatable. Like don't like you're alienating people if you make if you talk about your experience in such specific terms. And I feel for like that's me, a really coded thing to yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I don't know, like for me at this point, I've been doing this for almost ten years. I'm sort of like F relatability, you know? Yeah. Like my jokes are funny and I don't really care if it's to your experience. I think yeah. you people have been asking us to meet white guys mm -hmm. uh, in their experience as the universal experience for generations now. And it's like, why can't my experience be a little bit universal? Find you in my totally. experience, you yeah. know? Well, uh, you know, speaking of the white guys in comedy, um, there is a debate happening around cancel culture mm -hmm. um, right now. Uh, you know, we've seen with the movie The Joker, a lot of times we, you know, we saw it with uh, the guy who was supposed to be on SNL. Um, uh -huh. I mean, do you, do you have any uh, guidelines that you kind of abide by for your own comedy about things that you won't touch or, uh, you know, you uh, just, yeah. I don't know. Like, I think, like, we do need to push boundaries. But for me, like, my lines are all sort of about, like, challenging stuff that I, or, or challenging myself, I think, more so than anything else. And, like, um, I'm, it's all so subjective. Like, yeah. everybody's lines, like, I hate, like, we talk so much about, like, political correctness uh, in comedy. And it's like, well, whose politics mm. are we talking about? You know, because mm -hmm. there are so many different, ideologies that are at play right now in comedy and some of the stuff that I'm saying in the Midwest is politically incorrect to a certain sect of people, you know? And so it's so wild to try and find like some objective standard of like what is cancelable mm. and what is not. I think it's all about context and I do think that, I don't know, I personally think that we shouldn't be as quick about it and I think mm. we should be a little bit more forgiving, but I also think that people need to understand that there are sort of, Im there's an impact to what mm -hmm. they're saying as well. So it's all a balance. Mm -hmm. It's a non-answer. Oh, that was, that was actually pretty good though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciated it. Well, um, you are incredibly busy right now. You have a new, uh, a new comedy show called The Cure and you also have a podcast that drops tomorrow called Urgent Care. Yes. Um, can you tell us about these? What can we expect? Uh, well, The Urgent Care is a podcast that I started with Mitra Johari, who's a, a comedian friend of mine. And it's a, it's a call and advice show. Um, the sort of bit of the podcast is, is that neither of us have any business giving advice to anybody. Our lives <laughs> are a complete disaster. Um, but the best kind of it. Exactly. And know? well, that's why we call it urgent care because, you know, it's where you go to when you have no other option. <laughs> you know, like when you want to see a doctor that is in the middle of a grocery store, uh, right. that is what you do. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we all grew up listening to like Loveline and yeah. things like that. And yeah. so, uh, for us, it's just sort of a throwback to that and, and, uh, being able to do that. And then Cure is like sort of a similar sort of vibe, but it's a live show that I do with my friend, Brendan Scannell. And we've been doing it in LA for a couple couple years now and we're bringing it to New York for the first time uh, next week on Wednesday. 
And uh, we basically do the same thing. We help people in the audience. And again, it is uh, you know questions ranging from like, should I break up to my boyfriend with my boyfriend? What should I do about my pet? Usually, it's break up with your boyfriend, put your pet down, things like that. Um, very helpful advice. I, I, I feel like the temptation to ruin somebody else's life would be too strong. For oh, me. I mean, that's absolutely why we did it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I could easily keep on talking to you. Thank you so much for joining. Me. Thank you for having me. Be sure to watch Joel and Sunnyside available to stream on Hulu and on the NBC app, and tickets to his show The Cure are available now. Later, you get to see Zach sit down with Gugu Umbala-Ra, but up next, more AM to DM. Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Atchmat X. NYPD tasered and arrested two teenagers for fare evasion. It's important to note that the mayor and Governor Cuomo have stationed NYPD at train stations located in the poorest Black Latinx neighborhoods in New York City. And here's a tweet from someone who is not shy about how they feel about the MTA from MTA hate account. MTA, do not evade the fare. We're hiring 500 more cops to crack down on fare evasion. Also MTA. Always. Yeah, that has happened to me uh, where yes. every single thing it, doesn't No machine work. works. Here's a tweet from Amanda Luz heading Santiago. Unsurprisingly, there are alternatives to the excessive policing of our transit system. Amanda is a reporter and social media editor for City and State New York and joins us now. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Okay, so the NYPD began deploying more police officers in June to crack down on fare evasion. How have these videos of officers using excessive force really brought this issue to a flashpoint now? So I think that these videos are especially startling to a lot of New Yorkers because they really harken back to broken windows policing, um, which also targeted majority of low-income um, residents, a lot of Black and Latino residents in the city. Um, and it's really scary because, you know, these officers aren't also not required to wear body cameras. And that is something that really hits home when you see this footage. Like if someone hadn't been recording this in the subway, would we even know about it? Um, and there's really a big concern about police transparency. Um, and, you know, a lot of the officers are actually not NYPD officers, they're state police officers, which is why they're not required to wear body cameras. Um, and so it's sort of like, unclear how they're interacting. Um, and as you can see from the videos, uh, it, it looks as though this influx of like 500 new police officers are going to be, you know, more aggressively cracking down, which is what a lot of advocates and politicians were super afraid of. And this is sort of just like all of these fears coming to fruition, um, basically. Yeah, it's very disheartening to know that this is what a lot of people expected to happen. And you pointed out that in 2017, Cy Vance actually pulled back on fair evasion arrests. So why are they going back to it now, you know, only two years later? Um, you know, I think that the city, um, this is something actually that the city and the state have been pushing for. Um, Cuomo, the governor of New York, um, intervened, and he's the one who really pushed for the 500 officers. There's a fear of a loss in revenue. I mean, the MTA estimates that they're going to lose about $300 million out of their like annual $4.5 billion revenue. Um, and I think that there's just this uh, renewed interest in cracking down. And also, I think 
you know, it's, it's less costly probably to send all these officers to the subway than it is to fix the ongoing signal issues, um, to reconfigure the infrastructure of the subway. Um, and that I think is the big reason why there's this, this push to just go with law enforcement, you know, but it's really a band-aid for a bullet wound here because it doesn't really address the reasons why people are fair, evading fair to begin with. To that point, I want to highlight a tweet from Firewalk with Mags. Surprising no one, the fair evasion crackdown seems to just be another excuse to police poor people and minorities now that weed has been decriminalized here. Very interesting. How do you mm. think that city spending on police officers compare with its spending on programs that might actually help people who need to fare evade or feel like they can't afford the subway? Yeah, so I mean, the sub the the city does have a a program called Fairfares that offers about a, like a 50% discount, but unfortunately only about 130,000 out of the 800,000 low income residents in the city are eligible to, to receive that benefit because these are just the same people that are receiving cash benefits and like uh, food stamps, SNAP. Um, and advocates are really pushing to, instead of spending this money on this new transit police task force, to instead put it into fair fares so that it becomes less of a burden on people that are struggling to afford the fare and maybe, you know, at times evading it, but just out of pure necessity. Um, and I do know that that program is supposed to expand, but it's really unclear, you know, the city has not communicated necessarily when that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, from your writing, that was one point that I was struck by. It's that not only, uh, you know, is there this uh, police presence now, really heightened police presence, but also yeah. the people who need access to these programs, there, there are so many barriers for them uh, to get the support that they need. So Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Up next, I am very excited to be talking to Jojo Fletcher and Jordan Rogers. Stay tuned. You know Jojo Fletcher and Jordan Rogers from season 12 of The Bachelorette, where they met and fell in love. And now they're hosting a new show called Battle of the Fittest Couples. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. By the way, she just, you just said met and fell in love. She goes, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. Wait a minute. <laughs> it seemed like love to me. No, like love to me. I like to tease him because he thinks he had it in the bag from day one. I did. Okay. I feel like a lot of the viewers did too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I did when yeah, I was, it was watching over. it. Night one, it was over. Oh, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Okay, so your new show has been described as The Bachelor meets American Ninja Warrior. Can you please explain to me what exactly that means? I would throw a little Jersey Shore in there as well. I mean, you got 12 couples all living in a mansion. There's they like a little to bit party. of booze. Gotcha, they like to gotcha. party, but we have, you know, 12 couples that are competing in this, these challenges, living under one roof, competing for $100,000. Um, and there's just a lot of drama. There's relationship aspects. There's physical, fitness aspects. There's a lot that goes on. It's just really good. I've already had one ambulance in the season. I think we're going to have more a few dumb. more just to tease down the road. But I think the great thing is we have, we have bodybuilders, we have CrossFitters, we have track athletes, we have fitness models. Like the diversity of the fitness group that's competing mm -hmm. is pretty cool because you 
think, oh, this guy's for sure going to win. And then the challenge doesn't necessarily play towards we have Yogi, big which, biceps. Which then, I think a lot of people, you know, were shocked because when they think of fitness, they a lot of times think of just strength. But we have yogis in there. and Yogi people are strong. And they're a dark they're, horse. They're a dark horse. And their mental strength is... I mean, it comes into play. No, that's true, that's true, that's true. Yeah. I wonder if there will be more ambulances in an average season of The Bachelor slash Bachelorette or this show. Because I feel like there's at least one ambulance a season. The most dramatic season <laughs> of Battle of the her? Fittest you didn't, Couple. You didn't, you didn't have an ambulance, did you? No, no. You just needed like 80 boxes of tissues. Just because I just cried all the time. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you guys could do this show? Are you guys ever thinking about going on the show? Absolutely. No, you we're kidding? not. We would like to just be the hosts yeah, we'll of the continue show. Continue. But if we jumped in there, oh, we would we'd crush You it. know, we were watching some of the challenges and we're very competitive, like just Slightly. by nature. And we, you know, internally we're like, what are they doing? Why are they not? We, we get more physical. And see coach here getting into it. Yeah. And then I looked at myself like, what do I, I'm yeah, a professional. Check myself. <laughs> you know, so it was really funny, but I think we would do good. Yeah. Did you guys ever get involved in the drama of the show? Because hearkening back to The Bachelor, I feel like Chris kind of like slides in a little bit and kind of gets involved in the drama. Or did no. you guys just stay out and be very... I think our favorite part was sitting in the production, which was the, the entire garage of this mansion and watching like behind the yeah. scenes. We didn't get to do that on The Bachelor Bachelorette. We were getting watched yeah. and, and, and maybe getting played at times. I think there was one challenge that has a lot of strategy in it. Remember the the water dumping challenge? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of strategy and kind of alliances that are into play, and I got fired up. I'm like, no, you guys are doing this all wrong. Like, this is what you should be doing. So a couple times we insert ourselves in the drama, but most of the time we just let it play out. Yes. I mean, you got it, you got it. Okay, so you two recently got re-engaged with a new ring. So exciting. Yeah. Not Neil Lane, I heard. No. <laughs> Not Neil. I loved my old ring, though. The thing is, you know, I we had always talked about like, he knew the style that I liked. And so, on, for the Neil ring, it was an oval. He got it, it was perfect. But we always talked about how we could maybe, like, reset it. Or I wanted a more comfortable band. But then he, on his own, decided to do this whole thing. And I literally had no clue. And Why did you decide it was important to do that? Uh, you know, it was just something that I always thought about doing in the back of my mind. Not to take away from our first engagement mm -hmm. at all, because that was real. It was amazing. That first ring means a ton to us. But I really mm -hmm. wanted to do something with no producers, no cameras, not on a beach in 120 degree weather when she's got to break up with someone else first. <laughs> so I kind of wanted something that was just us. And so I also wanted to buy my own ring. You know what? I'm kind of I never thought he would do it, but he now knows what it feels like to have to plan. It was a, nightmare. a proposal. So many things apparently almost fell apart. You know, it's weird so. when you don't have a producer going, "Okay, you're going to walk here at this time. <laughs> I you're feel like going to be perfect. And the, and the sunset's going to be just right here." <laughs> we'll like, have it filmed. We'll have photographers. No, none of it. Yeah, we had it, a shaky it was, iPhone camera from the girl that was just watching and. It was perfect. I, I loved it. I love that. I think it's so cool that you guys did that. And now you are really thick into the wedding planning, right? Can you give us any details? Oh, you turned well, to me. Well, because I, there's a reason. I got, I got my first like deadline ultimatum yesterday. We were driving to a press yes. um, event, and she's like, guest list needs to be done in two weeks. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then like five minutes later, she's like, you know what? One week. <laughs> So I, the guest I, list is always really By the hard. time we're done here, and I'm going to have like important. five hours to finish my guest list. But we have, I have, we, I have my guest list. Once I get Jordan's, we have a venue, we have a date. Um, but, you know, it really requires knowing how many people are going to attend to book everything else. So we're just waiting on Jordan. She way undershot the guest list. She's it like, did. oh, we'll be, maybe we'll have 150. I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> that uh -uh. always happens, though. That always happens. Okay, I know that Pilot P is, I think, right now in his season of The Bachelor filming. Do you have any advice for him? Gosh, someone asked me this yesterday. What advice? 
You know, everyone's experience is always very unique to them. But I think, you know, if I were to be able to tell myself something looking back, it was, you know, I was so caught up, I think, in the emotions and the confusions and the roller coaster of what it was. I feel like I I suffer amnesia from my season because I can't remember some of the most amazing moments. Oh, great. I really do. It's like, it's sad. So I feel like just really stay in the moment. Enjoy this time. It's going to be the coolest, greatest experience you ever do. Um, And just really trust yourself and try not to like hear outside noise when it comes to choosing somebody. Because I know that gets hard. You're around a bunch of producers and people. And so I would just say trust yourself and, and try to picture that person in your daily life outside of the show. Because it's totally different. Yeah, what that is. slightly. That makes yeah. that makes total sense. Okay, I have to have you guys weigh in on some Bachelor Nation drama. Ooh, I, I per I personally was really rooting for Big Mike. What do you guys think? Were you rooting for Big Mike to be the oh, Bachelor? The, we love yes. Mike. We love Mike. Um, we were. We thought it was gonna happen. I too. thought it was him. I thought we he thought. had a bag. We liked him a lot. We like him a lot. Not past tense, but yeah, we don't. I mean. You never know who they're going to choose. They're very kind of sneaky about it. Yeah. I feel like on my season, people thought it was Kayla. No one knew. And then I kind of... So you never know. But he was definitely a fan favorite. Also, though, maybe it's like a lesson. You start to dip your your toes into the dating celebrity pond. And then maybe it's like, maybe you don't need the Bachelor or Bachelorette. So we saw a couple <laughs> of contestants have some success in that. So that's true. Maybe lessons that's moving true. forward. So I don't Lovato, yeah, I don't that's true. Demi Lovato. Yeah. Gigi Hadid or the Bachelorette. I don't know. Okay, so you guys are now, I feel like you kind of graduated from contestant to host. So did you get any advice from Chris on your hosting abilities? Because he, I feel no. like, is the supreme host he yes. really is, television. He's really the greatest host of all time. I watch him, I'm like, he is so good at his job. No, we should have, actually. Mm-hmm. We um we got the call about Battle Fist Couples kind of right before it started. Literally right before. So we, we had no time to we think. We had no time to think. We like, packed our bags. We, we moved to Georgia where we were filming it. Uh, no, we should have, and maybe I need to for, you know, moving forward, but he, he's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, Jojo Jordan, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. Congratulations on thank everything. You. We cannot wait to see your wedding plans on Instagram. At least I can't. You can watch, catch Battle of the Fittest Couples on the Paramount Network Tuesdays at 11, 10 Central, and more AM to DM is up next. Here's a tweet from Marita Applehead. Oh, it's a new Luke James song out? Let me just dash this to Apple Music. (laughs) Joining me now to talk about his new music is two-time Grammy-nominated artist Luke James. Hey, Hey, what's up? What's happening? What's happening? Good to see you. I feel the same way. I've been waiting for this new music. I'm excited. Your first new single is called Go Girl. That's right. Can you tell us why this track is like, why now was the perfect time for this sound, this track for you? Um... I honestly wanted to switch up the vibe because it's, you know, cuffing season. It is. You know? Um, <laughs> but I also wanted to put a little energy inside of, you know, this cold weather that's about to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good record to just come out with. And plus it it has two of my, my best friends in the business, BJ, Chicago Kid, and uh, Ro James. Hey, so yeah. just felt like the right energy to come with. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about that relationship for a minute? Because yeah. I've seen you guys, like, you vibe in that Essence house, the R&B yes, house, yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah. you guys will support each other, each other's performances, yeah. like, at Soul House and yeah. stuff. Like, I love, like, seeing peers come together in the same industry versus making, like, a competitive thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about y'all. Well, you know, it's, um, oh, we're kindred spirits, you know, and, and we, we're we old souls, and we, and we, like, I guess, you know, being, like, growing up, like, the 90s, having that vibe, and just mm-hmm. looking at how other artists really just 
blended together and created together and stuff. And we just kind of, it was a natural fit, natural yeah. vibe to just become like brothers. Like it just happened over time. I've been knowing BJ for like some years. Right. Grinding and uh, roll the same mm -hmm. once I moved to uh, New York. So yeah, just, just you know, natural vibes. So this is from all from your upcoming project, yeah. To Feel Loved. That's right. Slash Deep Loved. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about the project? Well, it's um, it's kind of like two titles, To Feel Loved, To Feel Loved, To Feel Loved. Got you know, it. It's, uh, um, it's two different things. Mm -hmm. um, and this album is kind of, it's basically that. Um, it's a bridge album. Uh, years, it's been years since I released the project and I've kind of had a, a feeling of not uh, wanting to do music for a while and um, uh, finding myself in a, in a, new, a new place. <laughs> That's amazing. Luke has, Luke has set fire to the BuzzFeed it's office. It's on fire. They want to talk about to feel love. That's right. It's on fire. So everybody. hot that he has set fire to the office, y'all. Blazing. <laughs> the music is that good. So good. <laughs> so good. No, no. You know, to, to, to feel love, it's so distracting. That's it is so crazy. distracting. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. To, it's, to feel love, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an album, a, a, a bridge album for myself to uh, move to a place of, of feeling love and right. feeling appreciated, so feeling loved. And that the music I've lived with for quite some time and, and being able to jump into another art form like film and TV has allowed me to um, just give Luke James a rest and really yeah. just hone in on another uh, part of my um, artistic uh, expression. Expression, yeah. And that has opened up the door for me and the way I hear music now. So mm -hmm. that's what that's what to feel loved is. Yeah, and I want to talk about you. You mentioned how you've been dabbling in acting and yes. things like that. We've seen you in Little. Yes. We enjoyed you in New Edition. Thank you. Thank you. Playing Johnny boom, Gill. Boom. You know. And then and bop, now bop. you're gonna. <laughs> And now you're going to be in the upcoming third season of The Shy. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. What lit. can you tell us about your character? Shout out to Lena Waithe. Shout out to Lena Waithe. Common. We out here. <laughs> Shy, the whole cast. Love y'all. Um, it's amazing. I'm, I was a fan of the show uh, beforehand. Um, and then getting the opportunity to, to be a part of the show, mm -hmm. it was like, I mean, I was just elated for the opportunity. Um, it's been great. It's been great. It's uh, it's 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 a great show. Okay. You know? Yeah. So do yeah. you play like? I feel like the show like there's the school portion of it. Yes. There's like the street portion well, of yeah, it. Well, yeah. It breaks like, down. You know, all of these the different, all of these of different Chicago. lives and Southside and all these all of these different peoples and their background and how they kind of clash yeah. in, in in some kind of way, um, and are connected in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, but it just shows that inner, inner city folks um, just trying to make a way. Yeah. You know, um, and I play a character who, who comes out of nowhere uh, to um, retrieve my little brother. And uh, I'm kind of just going about it, uh, you know, a different kind of way. A different kind of way. A different kind of way. Yeah. You know, he's a good guy. He just, you know, he's the kind of guy that just uh, fits the suit but doesn't want to wear it. Right, right. Well, I'm excited to see because I'm a fan of the shy. Oh, good. So good, I'm good. excited for the new characters and new blood coming yeah, in yeah, season yeah, three. Yeah. It should it's be gonna, cool. It's going to be really good. I, I'm, I'm enjoying myself, truly. Right. So you sing, you act. Mm -hmm. Is there any other creative thing that you want to dabble into that you haven't mm. yet? Wow. Um, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about um, well, producing mm -hmm. uh, things. Um, that that's that's really my my vision and just producing film um and uh 
just putting all of the things that I do, like music and all of that, all together as one. Um, outside of that, uh, I don't know. To be fair, music and film is really, really taking a lot of I mean, it's a lot of stuff, yeah. yeah. Just, I want to help save the world. Yeah. You know, climate change is crazy. It is. Um, so I'm trying to figure out my way and <laughs> trying to help that situ this situation. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really my, 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 my focal point. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, another side hobby I feel like you have yeah. um, is uh, posting thirst traps on Instagram. Is that right? I mean, you literally are sitting there with a gallon of water. That's funny. Like, hey, yeah. ladies, you what's know, up? You know, you got to stay hydrated. <laughs> The thing is, you must stay hydrated. It's imperative, especially with this melanin. It only keep it going. Listen, they be talking about black don't crack. Listen, if it ain't moisturized, rise, if you ain't drinking hydrated. that, ain't hydrated. And sleep is imperative. You got to listen. You be out here. Uh huh. So you were just giving tips. Just tips. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just encouraging people to stay you know, hydrated. You know, you know I'm, I want to be like water. You know, <laughs> I want to be like water. That's me. That's me. I want to be like water. <laughs> I could take that a couple places, but I'm not because it's early in the morning. You know, it, what? Oh, what? It, early morning is fine. It's good. It's, listen, get your, see, listen, see, listen. okay. But you also another thing with your Instagram is I realized you like kind of delete everything to start like a new, yeah. a new. Is there was there well, any strategy well, behind I, that? I guess Instagram also. I mean, yeah, yes, mm -hmm. but in and no because I, I feel like for me Instagram is just like another extension of myself and also of my work. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to do, you know, it's Instagram is like people's lives. So it's like kind of you want to renew. It's like a new year, a new yeah. vibe. And I just wanted to start over. You know, I have a new project. It's very important to me. Um, new ventures that are very important to me. And I just really want to kind of like center people into the idea. OK, he's deleted everything. Yeah. What's coming? What's coming? And that kind of yeah. makes that that uh, that notion happen naturally. Um, well, not naturally. But yeah, you know but I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I do think it's good to highlight things because you do a lot of things on the low. People don't know. Like you don't talk uh -huh. about your songwriting a lot. No, but I, you write you write I, music for I, a lot of people. You've written I, a lot of people's I've, songs. I've written songs for people. <laughs> I have. I don't quite do it a lot right now, but just because I just I'm so self-centered and it's weird, right? It's um, good I'm to do that sometimes. I, I when am, it comes but, to your art. I am, but I'm not. But yeah, no, right. You have to like be honed in because I've been just trying to figure out what it is that makes me happy. Mm. What do I want to talk about? And it's really hard to do that at the same time of thinking of other people's feelings and whatnot. I've really had to, these last couple of years have been something different for me. It's been a real transformation for me. So yeah. that's kind of why I've gotten to a place of just not really writing for other people. Okay. But I do enjoy that part. <laughs> it's, it, it's always fun to, to help someone tell their story, story. Nice. for sure. Well. We are excited to have you back. That's what I'm happy yeah. about. Excited yeah. for this new music. Thank I can't you. wait thank to you. see what thank comes you. next with the thank visuals you, and such. Oh, I can't wait either. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. Well, Luke James' new single, Girl Girl, is out now. And yeah. look for his upcoming album, To Feel Loved. Yes. Up next, you will see Zach sit down with Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Max Irvy tweeted, Motherless Brooklyn just might be the best movie of the year. Ed Norton is phenomenal as a Tourette's detective and his direction is noir perfection. Alec Baldwin absolutely destroys and Gugu Mbatha-Ra owns. The kind of classy movie for grown-ups you rarely see anymore. And here with me now is one of the stars of Motherless Brooklyn, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And you all know I love talking about tea, usually gossip, but Gugu's teaching me how to actually drink tea today. I know, here I am with my green tea. <laughs> 
bag out, two minutes only. Green tea is two minutes, but I like to spill tea for many minutes, so that's for another day. So, you know, the movie follows a detective that you're in uh, that is exploring the the murder of his friend and mentor. Mm. But before we jump in, let's take a look. That's her. That's the girl that Frank was following. I think she found something. What happens to poor people in this city wasn't news yesterday and it won't be tomorrow. Where's everybody go? Mostly just disappear. This town is run by Moses Randolph. When someone isn't seen for what they truly are, that's a very dangerous thing. Drama. Drama. Mm, I love it. cast. So oh. good. The cast is amazing. I'm going <laughs> to ask you about that first, but let's talk about you and your character, Laura Rose. Mm. What drew you to the script and her specifically? Well, you know, I'd been a fan of Edward Norton's work for such a long time. So knowing that he had adapted this script mm-hmm. from the novel, that he was going to be directing it and starring it, I, I knew it was going to be a quality production. Mm-hmm. Um, and the script itself was just so layered and rich. You know, I'd never done anything in the 50s before. Okay. And it's got that noir detective mm-hmm. feel to it. So it's very mysterious and cool. And I just love my character. Um, you know, she is uh, a woman, you know, uh, ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Rose, she's a she's a trained lawyer, mm-hmm. but she's a woman of color in the 50s. Most people underestimate her and assume she's a secretary. And, uh, you know, she's working in community activism and uh, she sort of lives between these two worlds from the Harlem jazz scene and, and her activism. So I, I've always loved jazz and mm-hmm. so I just loved that combination. And it's such an interesting story that you never hear mm. ever on screen, especially mm. during that time, especially having a black woman's story told is so important these days. Yeah, you know, we're so used to seeing the 50s housewife mm-hmm. or the femme fatale or, or the nightclub singer, you know, and I just love the fact that Laura had so many more layers to her and she's a woman of purpose. She's yes. on a mission. She's not just the love interest. You know, she's got her own stuff going on. And, uh, you know, I love the dynamic between my character and Edward Norton's for character. Sh- for sure. But also the dynamic across the whole cast is yeah. insane. And yeah. I'm going to read some names because <laughs> you all need to know who's here. You know, we have Bruce Willis, Edward Norton, of course, mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin, William Defoe, and so many others. <laughs> yeah. What was it like working with these incredible people. It was daunting, but it was incredible for mm-hmm. me. You know, I think being the only Brit in the cast, you know, our DP, Dick Pope, our cinematographer, mm-hmm. was British, but everybody else is real thoroughbred, experienced, New York theatre-based movie stars. Yes. <laughs> uh, so for me, um, it, you know, it was it was a stretch mm-hmm. and it was, but it was great because, you know, I think, you know, working with such um, you know, seasoned actors, mm-hmm. it, it really makes you grow. And, you know, Edward also was directing himself yes. and us, you know, and that was a, an interesting challenge. And I think, uh, you know, you learn a lot from 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 that. Uh, you know, uh, he was wearing all these different hats, and I was very inspired, you know, by how he was handling everything, navigating two big roles. You know, yeah. acting and leading, and yeah. directing the film. Yes. What do you think that adds to his acting ability when he steps in front of the camera? Well, I think, you know, he really understands. He's an actor first. And I think as a director, then he has the vocabulary. He's able to put you at your ease. He knows what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And he's in your shoes as well. You're all in it together, you know. And so, you know, it was quite surreal at first, you know, because your director's there in costume with a trilby <laughs> on, you know. Um, but then once we got into it, it actually made it very fluid and mm-hmm. it felt very intimate because you weren't waiting for notes to kind of come from behind a monitor or from a distance. Uh, so it made the process quite... Um, intense but also fluid for sure and you know Edward Norton's character has Tourette syndrome throughout mm. the film and that's a big part of his kind of character's uh, description or things that they are struggling with what do you think we will learn about Tourette's through his acting in this film well, you know, I think he took that character from the novel and it's a very, uh, you know, individualistic mm-hmm. kind of disorder. And I think, you know, 
Lionel has Tourette's, but I think what is so beautiful is that he's not defined by it, yeah. you know, and he uses, you know, initially he, and it's Laura, really, my character that says we all have our daily battles, mm -hmm. right? You know, we all have things, you know, she's dealing with racial discrimination mm -hmm. um, uh, in the time and he's, he's dealing with, you know, people being alienated yeah. by him because of his Tourette's. And I think, you know, that was what was really interesting is you don't have to feel like these things are holding you back. You can still achieve greatness. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they really see each other and she sees she sees through his condition yeah. to the person beneath. Yeah, that's so important. So, you know, the film is incredibly serious and it's a really uh, serious ride. What were behind the scenes like? Was there any levity, any jokes <laughs> happening? <laughs> I know, I, it's, it's funny because my character does have quite a deep emotional yes. journey in the film, not to give too much away, but, um, but you know, I mean, the music to me was really where I felt like I sort of got my sort of soul nourishment. You know, we have this beautiful scene in the jazz club mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we had real musicians playing and and uh, Tom York wrote one of the songs. Wynton Marcellus, the legendary trumpeter, yeah. played that. So, so to have those scenes where we're dancing in, in, in the bar was, was really, you know, special. And, you know, it wasn't like a laugh a minute or anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it gave it, it gave it a warmth. And, you need some know. breath through yeah, it. Exactly. You've got to take care of yourself because, exactly. you know, as you're pointing out, it's not just about, you know, Edward Norton's character dealing with Tourette's, but yeah. you're also navigating as a black woman through the 50s, which yeah. is not easy at all. Yeah. So to take that on off the set would be tough. So you got to laugh when you yeah, leave. Exactly. <laughs> so you brought this up earlier with your character, Laura Rose, that she's more of a modern woman and mm. we're thinking about her as modern in the 50s. And so much of your career has been doing that. You know, <laughs> Belle, which is a movie I love so much. You Thank do that you. there. Um, and then Beauty and the Beast and A Wrinkle in Time. You're mm. giving us a more modern representation, especially of black women. Mm. Is that something that you find yourself seeking out in Hollywood to do? I think it is. You know, I think I'm just drawn to those multifaceted roles because mm -hmm. I think we all are multifaceted human beings and deserve to be represented that way, you know, in cinema. And for me, um, that's that's what I find I get my teeth into, mm -hmm. you know, characters that have nuance. Um, Laura is progressive for her time. And, and I just think that's more challenging and more, more true to the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. And what's it like seeing the response from people viewing? Do you see, do you get joy out of seeing them so happy around the dynamic? dynamicness in which you play these characters? I, I hope so. You know, I mean, you know, we just had a premiere, mm -hmm. you know, the, the other night and just to feel people's response and um, and the conversation around the film, you know, it's it's one of those nostalgic kind of films that don't get made anymore, yeah. really. You know, there's such a sort of epic, sweeping nature to it and it's really a love letter to New York. So so for me, it's it's great to see people really feel transported. You know, yeah. there's a lot going on in the world at the moment and, and to be able to kind of, you know, step back into a period landscape, even yeah. though there's a lot of contemporary themes in the film, you know, it's also, there's an escapism element yes. to it too. And we need some of that right we now. We really do. You know, we don't have to point out why, but we need some moments yeah. of like breath and escapism. Exactly. <laughs> so you're expanding your portfolio as an actor and you're going to be in the new show, The Morning Show yes. on Apple streaming. Yes. Uh, what was it like working with Reese and Jennifer? Oh, amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, The Morning Show is actually coming out on the same day as this. Oh, really? On November 1st. <laughs> so I'm true. so busy at the moment. <laughs> it's crazy. You are but, booked the busy. <laughs> yeah, but again, another incredible cast. You know, mm -hmm. obviously been a huge fan of Jennifer Aniston since Friends and totally obsessed. And, uh, you know, Reese Witherspoon, I got to work with really mm -hmm. briefly on Wrinkle in Time, but it's been great to work with her again on this. Steve Carell, yes. you know, uh, Billy Crudup, Mark Duplass, yes. you know, an incredible, incredible cast. And a really contemporary.
contemporary themed show as well. I think, you know, it deals with post Me Too, the conversation mm -hmm. of women in the workplace, you know, yes. in, the, in the media landscape. And, um, and the characters are just so juicy. I think I'm, yeah, I'm so, so excited. excited for people to see it because it's just, it's Machiavellian. It's, yes. it's kind of, you know, behind the scenes mm -hmm. of these shows, which I'm sure you I, understand. I mean, girl, that's why I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I want to see how much I relate and who yeah, am I. Yeah, you'll be able to see if we did a good job or not. But um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, that's amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank and congratulations you. on both of these two huge projects that everyone is talking about. Thank you for having me. All right, me. well, Motherless Brooklyn is in theaters November 1st. More Aim to DM is up next. Welcome back. That went by so fast. I know, I, I know, know, I know. Yeah. Luckily, I'll be back tomorrow yes. for Halloween, the spookiest day of <laughs> Amsterdam of the year. Will we wear costumes? Uh, I'm not, not a sure costume if we're ready to person. commit that much, but it'll still be fun. I'm sorry, everyone. Well, after our conversation on fair evasion, Damon tweeted, Amanda, yas. I feel yeah. like he both agreed with the important points she was making and also just thought she kills it. He's She's happy great. to see her on the show. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I she did such a good job of laying out like all of the context around this particular issue and, and then also helping us understand like why we're focusing on it so much at this moment because of these videos. Mm -hmm. Also that the cops don't have body cams, so now it is on all of us on our subway rides to to take out the phones, you know? Yeah, I mean, she definitely, stuff. I think, brought a lot of nuanced points to the conversation yeah. that I personally hadn't thought about. But also, hey, MTA, maybe fix the subway. I don't know. I don't what know. a thought. Just, just what an idea. Thought. I know. Just an idea. I know. It's 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 wild. Like, I think I, uh, I've i just seen other people tweeting about how it takes forever to get anywhere that you got to go. And which is, I think, I feel like the way that we feel anytime they even raise the fare on the subway, it's like, what what are we paying for anyways? And I remember explicitly saying when they took the alarms away from the emergency exit door, how I thought it was like the one thing they have done right since I moved here. And unfortunately, last week, I realized the alarms are back. Yeah, I mean, on I my like, stop, at least. I, I feel like there is so much more. We could go into so many other layers and levels. Of this should why be a whining really troubling about the and, MTA yeah, show. Why, why it's like so deeply <laughs> troubling and problematic. But um, but yeah, we will save that for another time. So thank you to our guests, Hannah L. Offman, Nate Scott, Amanda Henning, Gugu Mbalara, Joel Kim Booster, Luke James, Jojo Fletcher, and Jordan Rogers. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. for Halloween. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.